Well, let me add my word of welcome to all of you. We're really glad that you're here as we start this new series that is called Them. And, uh, and as we've been talking about this idea of us versus them, as Dan said before, uh, to, to get us started on that, I actually have a little, another little short video I want you to watch. Let's watch this. Public outrage over the deaths of Trayvon Martin, Freddie Gray, and many others, along with the assassination of five Dallas police officers, have brought to light the reality of racial tension in America. We witnessed the pain and outrage of many black Americans as protests spread across the country. But these protests have been met with a mixed response, reflecting an even deeper divide on how Americans view the problem of race in this country. Americans overwhelmingly agree that there is a lot of anger and hostility between different racial groups. This racial tension is further exemplified by differences on whether racism even exists. Compared to whites, black Americans are much more likely to strongly disagree that racism is a problem of the past, and much less likely to agree that reverse racism is a problem today. There is no agreement on why this racial tension exists either. In fact, compared to white Americans, blacks are much more likely to agree that people of color are put at a social disadvantage because of their race. Blacks are significantly more likely to say they live in fear of police brutality. The truth is, our black brothers and sisters are living in fear that our white brothers and sisters are not. Black born-again Christians are much more likely than others to believe that police unfairly target people of color. But what is perplexing is that evangelicals are even less likely than all other faith segments in America to believe the same. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, it is the tragedy of our nation that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour. But here's the good news. Most Americans believe the church can play an important role in racial reconciliation. But if the church is going to play an important role, it will be essential for Christians, black and white, to communicate with each other. Racial reconciliation can happen in the church, and it's going to take all of us. Now, I want to make sure you, that you didn't miss that last statistic, because there were a lot of scary statistics in that video. That last statistic said that 73% of Americans, that's three out of every four Americans, it's not Christians, uh, it's three out of every four Americans think that the church has an important role to play in solving this division that is happening in our society. So that's what we're going to tackle over these next few weeks here as a church family. We're going to talk a little bit about what we can do as individuals and as a church to make a difference in our world today. Now, first of all, just a couple of things what this series is not. This is not a political series, okay? We decided we were going to do this series long before the election ever happened, so this is not about who you voted for in the last election or whether you like our president right now or don't like our president. It's nothing to do with that at all. Another thing that this series isn't, this isn't a suburbs versus the city issue. We're not doing this series because we have a new site in the city of Chicago or anything like that. This isn't about where you live, because wherever we live, there's diversity, more than ever in our country. And, and one last thing that this isn't, this is not a black versus white issue, African Americans uh, versus white Anglo-Saxon Protestant you know, people in America. It's a lot bigger than that. People of all races, all, anyone who is different than us. And that's really what this series is about. It's about this mentality that Dan mentioned before, that if we're honest with ourselves, we all have at some level that there's an us and there's a them. 
And the us is people who are like us, who see the world the way we do, who like the same kind of things we like, who look like we do, who live the same way as we do. And the them is any group of people that instead of looking at people as individuals, we kind of group them in a category and we start to think about them because of that category they're in. We all do it. And we should be surprised that we all do it because it's been happening with human beings ever since the very beginning of time. No different in Jesus' day, by the way. See, in Jesus' day, the us versus them um, wasn't so much racial in the sense of ethnicity, but it was all about Jews versus Gentiles, those who were raised um, as Jews and Jewish households and everybody else. Now, in the Old Testament, that division was there, but it wasn't a problem, you see? Because in the Old Testament, Gentiles were seen as equals of Jews. They were different, but they were seen as equals. Um, the Jewish Old Testament laws said that they were to show hospitality and love towards Gentiles. Um, they, Gentiles could inherit and own property, even in Israel itself. That, that wasn't a problem in, in the Old Testament times. And uh, they could go to the temple and worship God and offer their offerings there in the temple just like Jews could. But by the time the New Testament happens, by the time Jesus shows up, things were radically different. Gentiles were scorned and hated. They were literally seen as unclean. I don't know if you remember this story, but when Jesus has been arrested the night before he's going to be crucified, and the Jewish leaders are putting him on trial, they want to go talk to Pontius Pilate, the Gentile, who uh, was the Roman procurator in charge, like the governor of the area. And, And they go to talk to him, but do you remember what they made him do? They went to his palace, but they wouldn't go inside. They made him come out to talk to them, because literally by simply going in his house, going in a Gentile house, house Jews believed made them unclean they wouldn't eat Gentile foods they wouldn't associate with Gentiles at all Um, if if there was a mixed marriage those children were seen by Jews as illegitimate children they couldn't even enter the temple much less offer sacrifices there Gentiles couldn't literally Gentiles were called the enemies of God now with that in mind I want to tell you a story and and this is uh, from Acts chapter 10 And it involves um, one of the leaders in the early church, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, a guy by the name of Peter. Now, now Jesus has already died and risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. And and, and so now Peter is sharing the good news about Jesus, but he's doing it only with other Jews. And he's he's in a, a place called Joppa. And uh, we're told in Acts chapter 10 that, that it's about noontime, it's lunchtime, and, uh, and Peter's hungry, and while they're making his lunch, Peter decides he's going to go up on the roof of this building he was in for a little alone time with God. He's going to go spend a little time in prayer before lunch. And he gets up there on the roof, and we're told while, while he's waiting and while he's getting ready to pray, he has a vision, he has a dream from God. And uh, it's kind of an interesting one. Here's what he sees. He sees like the heavens open and, and described like a sheet that's being held up by the four corners. And as it comes down, he can see there's stuff in that sheet. And, and the stuff that's in that sheet is Gentile food. Again, stuff that he's been taught since little. You don't eat. You don't eat the stuff that Gentiles eat. It makes you unclean. It's bad. Probably never eaten any of that food in his life. In fact, it, the thought of eating that food probably turned his stomach. There's a sheet, and it's got Gentile food on. And remember, it's almost lunchtime. And and all of a sudden, he hears God's voice, and God says, Peter, have some lunch. 
take some of this food and eat it. And Peter goes, never, Lord. Never would I eat that kind of unclean food. I've never eaten that, never will. And then God says something to Peter. God says, who are you to call something unclean that I have made clean? Peter was probably trying to figure out exactly what that meant. And, and, and by the way, we're told that God repeated that vision for him three more times, exactly the same way, trying to, trying to get his point across. And then, at the very end, God said something else to Peter. He said, Peter, now I need you to go downstairs because there are three men that are going to show up at your house right now, and I want you to go with them. I want you to do whatever they tell you to do. And so Peter comes down, and there's the three men, and guess what? Or Gentiles. Now let me give you a little bit of the backstory. We've been told a little earlier in this chapter that there was this Gentile leader, uh, actually a Roman soldier by the name of Cornelius. He lived in a place called Caesarea. And, uh, and, and he had a lot of questions about God. And so God had actually given Cornelius a vision and said, send some of your servants to this guy named Peter in Joppa and Peter will come and Peter will answer your questions about me. So Peter's got a dilemma. What does he do? Does he go with these Gentiles, these unclean people? And, and keep in mind that that vision from God is just bouncing around in his head. So Peter decides to go. And he travels with them for two days, and he gets to Cornelius' house. And, uh, and believe it or not, of all things we're told in Acts chapter 10, 27, that, that Peter actually decides he needs to go into Cornelius' house. Again, that probably the first time in Peter's life he has ever set foot in a Gentile home. And look at what he says. Peter goes in, and, and he sees many people gathered there. Cornelius has got his whole family there waiting to meet this guy named Peter. And, uh, and he says, you people understand that it is against our law for Jewish people to associate with or visit anyone who's not Jewish. But then he says this, but God has shown me that I should not call any person unholy or unclean. That's why I didn't argue when I was asked to come here. And then Peter said something, and I'm, I'm convinced this is exactly what God wanted him to learn and what he wants us to learn too. Peter said very simply, I really understand now that to God, every person is the same. Think about that. To God, every person is the same. Because you see, God has a dream too. Like that dream he gave to Peter, God has a dream, and that dream is that all people would be equal and the same, that there would never be an us and them. Way back in the beginning of the Bible, in the, in the book of Genesis, God is creating this world, he's creating this universe, and it comes time for him to create human beings, and God says, let us, there was an us, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God who has existed before time in this wonderful relationship that we call the Trinity. And we get a little glimpse of that conversation in the Trinity when God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. What God was saying there is that he didn't want to create an us and them. He wanted to create just a bigger us. And, and so in creation, when God created human beings, he, he wasn't creating us to be something different than God. In fact, he was creating us to be part of that circle of life that we call the Trinity. He was expanding that circle of love and relationship to include you and me. That was God's dream. And, and by the way, it, that's, that's in the first book of the Bible and in the very last book of the Bible, that dream that God has is there too in the book of Revelation. Another one of Jesus' disciples, a guy named John, he had a dream, a vision of what heaven is going to look like. 
And look at what it says. It says, after the vision of these things, I looked, and there was a great number of people, so many that no one could count them. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language of the earth. They were all standing before the throne and before the Lamb, wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. Folks, in creation, when God made human beings, he invited us into a relationship with him and with one another, where there's not supposed to be any us and them, just, just this beautiful togetherness based in God's love and God's grace. And, and in heaven, that's what it's going to be like. In heaven, there are going to be people who are not like us at all. They're going to be people of all races, all, all, all tribes on earth, all languages on earth, all together before the throne. Why? Because they've all been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he did it for you. And if you were the only sinner on the face of the earth that needed that, he would have still come and he still would have done it for you. But the reality is, he didn't just do it for you. He gave his life on the cross for every single human being. Doesn't matter where they've lived, doesn't matter what their socioeconomic background, doesn't matter their education level, doesn't matter the color of their skin or the culture that they were born into. Jesus gave his life for all. But by the way, isn't it interesting that when I pick out a picture of Jesus, I pick one that looks like me, right? I pick white, blue-eyed Jesus hanging on the cross. Now, I don't know what Jesus looked like, but I guarantee it. He wasn't white and blue-eyed, okay? <laughs> Jesus came to give his life for all of us, and that's why in Revelation it says these people that are gathered around the throne, they do have one thing in common, and that thing that they have common is they have all been washed clean in the blood of Jesus. Now, I know we all get that. That's probably not new to you at all. You're probably sitting there going, yeah, of course, Mark. Yeah, Jesus died for everybody. But if that's true, then let's go back to that quote that we heard in the video from Martin Luther King Jr. You know, he said it about 50 years ago, and you know what? It's still true today. The fact is that Sunday morning in church is probably the most segregated hour of the week. And if you don't believe me, look around the room. We don't reflect our community right now. Not in this room, not right now, this morning, folks. And, and we shouldn't be surprised. They did a survey just last year, in 20, or two years ago, in 2015. And, uh, and this is what they found. They found that 67% of Christians, two out of every three Christians, says that their church is doing enough to be ethnic, ethnically diverse. But 91% of churches, uh, nine out of 10 churches, are basically homogeneous. They're basically other people just like you. And again, I don't think we should be surprised by that because you know what? We like being with people that are like us, don't we? This is a creepy picture. But, but the fact is, I, if I'm honest, I'll tell you, I love being with me, okay? I, I, I love being with people like me. I love people that like the same things I like that like to do the same things I like to do, that like to eat at the same places I like to eat, that, that, that view politics the same way I view them, that, that view the world the same way I do. I love being with people that agree with me because it's just easier, isn't it? You don't have to wrestle about what restaurant you're going to go to because you both like going to the same place, right? 
I mean, seriously, we love being around people that are like us. And, and, and I get it. There's, there's something that, that makes sense about that. But here's the problem. The more time we spend with people that are just like us, the more we become blind to the problems and the struggles and the hurts and the fears that people who are not like us have. The more time we spend with people that see the world the way we see it, the more blind we become to other ways of seeing the world around us. The more time we spend with people that agree with us on everything, the harder it gets when anybody disagrees with us at all. And here's what I found. It makes it so difficult to relate to people that are different than us. I mean, at one level, it's like, okay, I know certain things about what they experience, but there's a lot that I don't know about what people that are different than me experience. But if I'm really honest with myself, what I'll admit in is it's not just that I don't know what they experience, it's that I don't even know what I don't know. Had an experience uh, a couple weeks ago. I, I knew we were going to be doing this series, and uh, one of my friends, he's a fellow pastor, uh, a Lutheran pastor, a guy by the name of Keith Haney. He actually works in our district office right now. Now, now Keith is African-American. And let me tell you something else about Keith. He's 6'6". He's huge. And, uh, and he's just written, by the way, a wonderful small group study. I've seen the, the, um, the, the manuscript of it. It's, it hasn't quite been published yet. As soon as it is, we're going to let you know because he's written this small group Bible study from his perspective on this exact issue that we're talking about. might be a great study for your group to use sometime in the future. But so as I was talking to Keith, I said, Keith, here's what we're going to be doing. And, and I was talking to him about this idea that, you know, there's stuff I know about what you go through. And, and, and there's, there's stuff that I don't really know or understand what you go through as an African-American in our culture right now. And I said, and I, 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 don't, I think there's probably stuff that I don't even know what I don't know, right? And he's like, yeah, I think that's probably true. And, and then he said, for example, do you know that a few weeks ago I got pulled over by a cop? And he said, I was terrified. I said, well, yeah, I get it. You know, I've been pulled over before. Your heart beats a little faster. You're worried you're going to get a ticket. He's like, no, you don't get it. He said, I was literally almost throwing up, scared for my life. And I, and I looked at him. I said, Keith, that's stupid. I said, you're a law-abiding citizen. You got nothing to hide. You're, you're a pastor. I said, and you're huge. Seriously, you were afraid for your life? And, and, uh, and, and the whole time I'm saying this, he's smiling, but he's just shaking his head. And I got done with that little diatribe, and he looks at me and he goes, Mark, you just don't get it. He said, you were raised, and you were told when you were raised that the cops were the good guys, that, uh, that, that they were going to be there for you, that they're there to protect you. And, and he said, and, and the reality is I know that for most cops that's true. He said, but, but I, was, I was taught something different. I was taught to be afraid of the cops. I was taught that the cops were out to get me. I was, I, I was taught that, that they were going to target me because of the color of my skin. And he said, and, and honestly, what's been happening in the news the last couple of years makes me think that maybe what I was taught is at least partly true. He goes, I, I wish I could help you understand. He said, in that moment, he said, I literally was, was, was worried that I was going to die. Now, you and I may think that's not rational, but, but, but see, the point is, it's hard for us to understand because we've never been there. So, 
as we get this series kicked off this week, here's something that I would love for you to do. I would love for you this week to find somebody who is different than you and just have a conversation with them. Ask them this question. Say, all right, so as a white person in America, what, what am I not seeing that you see? What, what do I need to know? What, what, what don't I understand? I bet you, you will be amazed at what you hear. And don't do what I did. Don't go, well, that's stupid, okay? Just listen. You know, back to that story with Peter. So um, I, there, there's, a, there's an element of it I want to make sure you don't miss. So he comes down off the roof, and here's these three Gentiles that God has just told him he's supposed to go with. And God has just given him this vision about how Gentile food is, is not really all that bad. And, and Peter just, he could have kind of gone, uh, okay, guys, thanks. I'm not sure I'm ready to hang out with you, but I'm going to go have a bacon sandwich, okay? That's, that's basically what he could have done. But, but instead, he's like, okay, God, I'm going to obey. And, and so he spends two days traveling with these guys, and I'll bet you there were some amazing conversations going on over those two days. As Jesus, I mean, as Peter, maybe for the first time, started to see them the way Jesus sees them, started to understand maybe a little bit of their struggles as Gentiles in, in, in a Jewish community and uh and so by the time he shows up at cornelius's house cornelius is so excited to see him look at what it says it says cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends he's got he's like this god's sending me this guy and he's going to tell us gentiles all about the true god he's really excited and when peter enters the home look what it says cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him but look at what peter does he pulls him up and he says stand up and then he says something that I guarantee you two days before he never would have said. He looks at this Gentile, this enemy of God, this, this, uh, this deplorable person, at least the way he was raised, and he looks at him and he says, I'm a human being just like you. That was a huge step for Peter, and, and I'm convinced God used that time when he was with those Gentiles traveling to help Peter gain that perspective. Folks, that's our dream for our church. Our dream for our church is that, that we would adopt God's dream. That our church every day would look just a little bit more like what heaven is going to look like someday. And, and for that to happen, it's going to take each and every one of us breaking down the barriers that, that we don't even know we're putting up so that we can be a church. We can be a church family that is made up of people of every tribe and race so that we can reflect what heaven is going to look like one last story um in 1999 um i was up in minnesota for a conference see there's this there's this thing in uh, our larger church body called the lutheran women's missionary league okay and it's so it's women from all over the country uh who have a heart for missions in our church body and they were holding their annual conference up in minnesota and i was up there for the conference first of all there was like a thousand women and about 20 men in the room, uh, which made it really convenient during break times to get at the bathroom, by the way. But, uh, um, you know, but here's the other thing. That room was 99.9% white, okay? But they had asked a pastor by the name of Jerry Coleman, one of the great preachers in our synod, an African-American pastor, to preach for their opening service. And Jerry got up, and I will never forget this moment. It, it really is one of those moments that's kind of burned in my mind. He got up, and he read that passage from Revelation that I had just read about heaven, people of every tribe and race and language. And then he stopped, 
And he looked up at this sea of white faces. And he said, I want you guys to look around for a second. And then he said, this is not what heaven's going to look like. And then he said, and the sad truth is, most of you, most of your churches would never call someone like me to be your pastor. I think he was right. Folks, that's not God's dream, right? God's dream is that we would see every single person that we encounter every day not as black or white or Hispanic or, or Jewish or Gentile or rich or poor, but we would see them all as forgiven, loved children of God. That's God's dream. Now, after the message, we always take some time to, to have communion together. And uh, communion is this amazing meal that God gives us that, that joins us together with one another. But uh, there was actually a time, uh, not that long after that story we just studied, where a guy named Paul was writing to a church in, at Corinth, and there was an us and them problem in their church. It wasn't, race, it wasn't about race, it, it was about socioeconomic class, it was about rich and poor. And when they would gather together for communion, when they were gathered together for worship there in Corinth, they would have kind of a potluck meal before the service every time. And, uh, and the rich people would bring cool food for the other rich people. And the poor people were left to eat whatever they could scrape together to bring. And there was this division that was going on. And, and Paul wrote to them and he said, how dare you have communion together after you've just treated each other that way? He says, stop. You've got to stop having communion together until you can examine yourselves and figure out that what you're doing is wrong. That all people are equal in God's eyes. They're all part of the family. And so before we take communion this morning, I want to spend a little time before the Lord in prayer. And, and I'll, I'll start it off, and then I'm going to get quiet. And, and I want to give you a chance to just silently talk to God about what's in your heart on this issue. If you're honest with yourself, you've got a them. And I don't know who it is for you. Maybe it's not race. Maybe it's socioeconomic class. Or maybe it's people who are less educated than you. Or, or whoever it is, there's, there's somebody out there that when you look at them, you don't see the person, you just see the group of people that they're in. We all have a them. So let's take a little time and be honest with God about that and confess that before God so, th so that we can again receive that gift of his love and his grace. Let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, I'm just going to be really honest with you this morning, Lord, and I'm going to admit to you that I have, I have them, I have thems in my life. I have, I have people that when I look at them, my first thought isn't, about the person, but it's about the group of people that they represent. They're different than me. And that makes it uncomfortable. And it makes it easy for me to kind of label them and judge them. So Lord, this morning, I want to take just a minute before you, and I'm inviting everybody in the room to do that too, as we confess before you that sin. That sin of, of being willing to not look beyond the external circumstances to not see people the way you do. Thank you for spending some time in God's Word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about a relationship with Christ or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T. L C 
the number four, and the letter U.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.